may be seated. My title for us this morning is, Every Letter Has a Purpose. Every letter has a purpose. There is a bit of everything in this near-to-the-end New Testament letter, 1 John. There is encouragement and conviction, love and correction, admonition and instruction, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. This letter, though short at a mere five chapters, is packed full of incredible information for us to learn and to put into practice. Church, this is going to be a long study. There are many reasons why we should give ourselves over to the diligent and patient study of the New Testament. And for the next few months, we're going to do just that diligently and patiently study the book of 1 John. In fact, my tentative schedule says that we should reach chapter 2 around Thanksgiving. My challenge and hope for us is this, that you'll read 1 John and then read it again. And after you've read it again, guess what? Man, I love my church. And I want to encourage you to mix it up. If you've been with us here at First Baptist Cutler Ridge, our awesome and strong and intelligent church for any amount of time, you know that I preach from the ESV, the English Standard Version. It's my favorite. It's what I like. But I also read from many other translations. So while you read First John, I want, you to encourage you, I want to encourage you not only to read from say, the ESV, if that's what you're using to follow along with me. But I want to encourage you to read some other translations as well. For example, the Good News Bible, or the New Living Translation, or the New International Version, or if you love the Old English, the King James. Whatever you like to read as a secondary or a go-to, I want you to read 1 John in that translation too. In other words, I want you to read 1 John a lot. But I don't want you to read it in one translation. I want you to read it in other translations as well. The gist is the same. The message does not change. But the word choice by the translators, as well as the styles of translations, keeps your reading fresh and interesting. Friends, as I mentioned, my title for you this morning is Every Letter Has a Purpose. And so this epistle, or letter, of 1 John had a purpose when it was written. And in its way, it adds to the great compilation of books that we call the New Testament. Now, you know that we go Old Testament on Sunday morning, and when we're done with an Old Testament book, we go to a New Testament book, and we alternate back and forth. So we're going to be in the New Testament. I want to share, since we did Amos last an Old Testament book, some differences between the New and Old Testament. They're going to come up here on the screen so that you can see them. The New Testament has only 27 books, whereas the Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament is composed of 260 chapters, whereas the Old Testament is composed of 929 chapters. The 260 chapters in the New Testament are composed of 7,600 
59 verses, whereas the Old Testament has over 23,200 verses. And yet, although the New Testament is shorter than the Old Testament in every way, it is by far more popular and more widely read than the Old Testament. Not because the Old Testament isn't the inspired Word of God. It is. But because the New Testament is the record of Jesus' incarnation, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and the consequential spread of the gospel throughout the world. As a Christian, and certainly as a pastor, one of the exciting things that I love to hear new Christians or even non-Christians who genuinely want to learn more about Christianity ask is, where can I start in the Bible? I almost always answer the same. Start in the Gospels. And in particular, start in John. John is such a good author, such a good writer. The Apostle John is responsible for four books in the New Testament, or five books in the New Testament, or letters as we call them. In the New Testament, he's got the Gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was also written by John. All of his books have this in common. They're complicated, but clear. They're sophisticated, but simple. So there are a number of reasons why I've landed on 1 John. I've been praying about this for a while while we've been doing some other things on Sunday morning, but I have landed on 1 John, and we're going to be there for the foreseeable future, and it's my prayer that it blesses us, that it moves us wherever we might be to where God wants us to be. But before we get into the depth of the study that is going to be 1 John for us, let me share with you three things why we're going to be focusing on the New Testament. So three simple points for you this morning, not a whole lot. They're relatively short. Say amen if you're ready. All right, so first of all, we're camping out in the New Testament because the New Testament teaches us about Jesus. Church, it would be a mistake to say that the Old Testament doesn't talk about Jesus. The Old Testament talks about Jesus. It talks about Jesus as the root of David, as the Messiah anointed one, as the Savior who would come, the star of David, Emmanuel, the counselor. There are a lot of descriptions of Jesus in the Old Testament. So I'm not saying that we're in the New Testament because it talks about Jesus while the Old Testament doesn't. No, that would be to misconstrue what I'm saying. The Old Testament says a lot about Jesus. But when it talks about Jesus, we have to remember the context. The context of a discussion of Jesus in the Old Testament is prophetic. It's anticipating the coming of God's anointed Savior who would save Israel and the world by faith. Jesus is in the Old Testament without question and without argument. But even with that acknowledgement, there's no argument and there is no question that the New Testament is where we receive the abundance of teaching on Jesus. Here are some things to consider. First, the New Testament contains the birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. 
While the prophecies and predictions are found in the Old Testament, their fulfillment is found in the New. Some have said it this way, what is concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. Let me say that again. What is concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 says that when the prophets wrote what God had led them to write, they had to go back and study it because they couldn't wrap their mind around all that God was doing and all that God had predicted. I don't know if you've ever felt that way reading the first chapter of Ezekiel, but you can put it down and go, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Sometimes the prophets are incredibly difficult, but I will follow that truth up with this. They're also incredibly rewarding. So we praise God for the Old Testament, but there is definitely a difference, and this is one of them. The New Testament contains the birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus. Second, the New Testament contains the circumstances around these events. The New Testament also contains the circumstances around these events. Listen, we spend time in the New Testament because it tells us how, to, how the plan and providence of God unfolded in history. Jesus is a historical person who was born in a real town called Bethlehem that existed in a real country called Israel, which was at the time occupied by a real nation called Rome, which was led by a real leader called Caesar. You get the drift. The New Testament talks about all of those historical facts and realities. It records them to such a detailed extent in some cases that Luke, the third gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, is sometimes called Luke the historian because he makes references to so many small historical details. In fact, in the 60s, historical evidence was found by archaeologists that supported Luke's statement about Caesar's decree to take a census of all that were in the Roman provinces. Before that time, everybody thought Luke was making stuff up. So the gospel had recorded a historical fact that historians didn't even have evidence for until somewhere around the 1960s. You see, God's word is reliable, and it talks about things that were happening in real time and in real space because the New Testament was written in real time and in real space, and I might say, about a real Savior. When Jesus was found guilty of blasphemy, which was completely bogus, by the way, the man who saw to his crucifixion was a governor named Pontius Pilate. This is a historical fact. He's a real man, a real historical figure. So the second thing that we walk away from when we study the New Testament is this reality check that Christianity is not some mythical religious system that came down from the mountains in Tibet. Jesus was a real man who died a real death to pay for real sin for real sinners like you and me. Amen? I want to say this, church, to make this point. The New Testament was not written 
in some hidden corner by a bunch of monks. The New Testament was written by people who saw what was taking place. They were with Jesus, and the record that they put down for you and me is reliable even today. We thank God for that. Secondly, the New Testament is the inspired word of God. The New Testament is the inspired word of God. Even today, Jews, regardless of what sect they might fall into, Reformed or Hasidic, whatever, they acknowledge the fact that Christians are their cousins. They respect and admire us as we respect and admire them because we respect and admire the same text, namely the Old Testament, but they stop there. They don't go to the New Testament as we do. But I say that to say this. We don't distinguish between the value of the old and the new. We believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament are equally inspired by the same God. We believe that when we read John 3.16, it's just as important as Genesis 1.26 and 27. God made man and woman in his image and likeness. We believe that, and to that we say amen. But we also believe that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We believe in what we call the plenary, P-L-E-N-A-R-Y, the complete or total inspiration of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we believe that every word here is equally valuable. And of course, we hold to that when it comes to the New Testament. A couple of reasons for this. First, Jesus commissioned the apostles with authority. With what? Authority. He didn't authorize every believer the way that he authorized the apostles. We have some who are misguided and misled today by false doctrine and poor teaching who like to take upon themselves titles like apostle, and they're wrong. There are no apostles today. There is no succession of the apostolic ministry. Now, I think that there are some people who don't intend ill that refer to themselves as apostle, but I think that the majority of them know what they're doing. But see, there is a prerequisite that must be met in order for you to be an apostle. One is that you have to have seen the ascended, resurrected, excuse me, Jesus. If you have not seen the resurrected Jesus, and you have not seen the resurrected Jesus, you can't be an apostle. You don't qualify. That's a biblical prerequisite to be an apostle. But secondly, not only do you have to have seen the resurrected Jesus in order to be an apostle, but the resurrected Jesus has to have authorized you to be an apostle. That doesn't happen to just anybody. We all have callings, and we praise God for that. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, the calling of God is irrevocable. He doesn't change his mind on those things. But he has not called all of us to be an apostle. God called through his son, Jesus Christ, a select group of people to be apostles. And when he did that, Jesus commissioned these apostles with authority. They had a special task, namely to authoritatively guide the church that Jesus had established with his own blood. And so John says in 1 John 
chapter 4, verse 4. Whoever is of God listens to us. And whoever is not of God does not listen to us. Is that simple or is that simple? But there's depth there, amen? John is saying we're apostles, and when we speak, if you're a Christian, you listen. And if you're not a Christian, we're not surprised that you don't listen. If at every turn you're negotiating with the word of God, which was penned by those who had the authority to pen it, the apostles, if at every turn you're arguing with the word of God about what it says, because it's 2021 rather than 56 AD, you need to assess yourself to examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Because John says, if you're a Christian, you listen to those who were given authority by Jesus Christ to lead the church. And if you don't listen to them, you may not be with God. Church, are we listening to the apostles? Secondly, the apostles were aware of their Christ-centered authority. Not only did Christ himself authorize the apostles, but those same apostles were aware of their Christ-centered authority. So we come across verses in these apostolic writings or letters. For example, this one by Paul in Galatians chapter 1. He says, Paul, this is him, this is the heading of the letter, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Let me read this again because I want you to get this. Paul starts his letter to the church at Galatia like this. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You see, you, see, you see what I'm saying? Paul knew that he was authorized, unlike everybody else, to be an apostle. He didn't care what men thought of him, whether good, bad, or ugly, because it isn't what man says that matters. It's what God says that matters. You see, Paul knew that his apostolic office wasn't a man-made thing. It was from God through Jesus Christ. So years later, when Peter wrote his second letter, we have two letters from Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. At the end of 2 Peter, Peter's talking about Paul's writings, and he says, Paul's writings are Scripture. So even the apostles knew that what they were doing was unlike other things that had been done. The New Testament is the inspired word of God. But finally, and thirdly, the New Testament is unmatched in its ethic. The New Testament is unmatched in its ethic. As we pursue the, or, or peruse the annals of history, what we find is that the New Testament has affected history tremendously. The decisions that men and women countries and cultures have made have been in large part influenced by the New Testament and what it teaches. 
even if the society itself was unaware of the fact. Let me give you just a few examples. Do unto others as you would want them to do to you, right? This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. This is a teaching of Jesus. We hear people say all the time, even people who are not Christians, they may not realize it, but they would say, you would not want that done to you, so don't do it to others. That's Matthew 7, 12. That's a New Testament text. Or, or the story of the Good Samaritan, that's Luke chapter 10. Sometimes you turn on the news and the news reporter will say, a Good Samaritan helped somebody that was stranded on the side of the road today. And we go, Good Samaritan, Good Samaritan, Good Samaritan. Listen, Samaria was a city in Israel. And the Good Samaritan is a parable, which is a story told by our Lord Jesus to help people understand how to do good deeds, and how to love on their neighbor. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. We don't even realize the reach and the influence that the New Testament has had on our language and on our culture and our society. Here are some few things uh, in addition to consider when it comes to the influence of the New Testament on our lives. The Salvation Army. Ever heard of it? It's not called the Salvation Army because they run around saving people. It's called the Salvation Army because they were started by Christians. How about the Red? Never thought about that, did you? The Red Cross, same thing. Started by Christians. How about the Southern Baptist Convention's very own organization, Disaster Relief? How about Compassion International? My family and I were worshiping at a concert last night, and Compassion International was there, which is an organization that helps provide basic needs, like we're doing here with Samaritan's Purse, to those that don't have it. You realize that the nations that have not been infiltrated as deeply with the New Testament teachings as the United States of America has been, don't go helping children around the world. Everybody's got something bad to say about the United States, but I don't see people flocking out of this country. Now, we all have our goods and bads and uglies about the United States of America, but I'm not going to Canada. We're here enjoying in part the blessings of freedom and liberty and individuality and autonomy and rights and civil, civic, civil laws and rights, etc. In part because the forefathers in this country knew whether or not they were Christians they knew the positive influence and principles that the New Testament had. Now, we can debate whether or not they always exercised the New Testament principles. And by debate, I think we can agree that they didn't always exercise the principles of the New Testament. That's not the point. The point is, 
In 2021, we're still helping those in need. In 2021, we're still reaching beyond our borders to help children that we will never physically meet in countries that we have never even remotely come close to because we know God said, love your neighbor. The New Testament has an ethic that has influenced us all throughout history. Church, these organizations are just a small token and reminder that so much is rooted in the principles and teachings of the New Testament that we often take it for granted. In conclusion, let me say this. First John is composed of five straightforward chapters. Let me encourage you to read them, study them, take notes on them, and make the most of the time that you and I are going to spend together in the, over, in the upcoming months. If we do this right, every one of us will leave 1 John with a command and an understanding of the epistle. And I believe we will have mental benefits and spiritual blessings. <laughs>